0: Welcome to the IAM Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I am the Website Content Manager at IAM. If you have any suggestions for the IAM Podcast, you can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. We want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash IAMovers slash message. I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there.
1: Okay, welcome to the podcast. Today we have IAM's President Emeritus, Terry Head, joining us. I am Brian Labropoulos with the Association uh, but very excited to have my former boss on the podcast, making his first podcast appearance to talk about uh, what, what he's doing today, uh, what he's doing these days, what's in store for the future, and some other industry issues that we're going to focus on today. But uh, it's a real privilege to welcome Terry Head to the podcast. Terry, introduce yourself. Most people know you, but for those that don't, give them an overview.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Brian, and, and uh, good morning, good day. Um, feel honored to be asked to participate in the podcast. It's, it's hard to believe it's been two years since um, I stepped down as the IM president and Chuck took over. Um, and of course, a lot has happened in the world and in the world of moving since that time. Um, I thoroughly have enjoyed my time away from the industry uh, but I haven't been inactive by any means. Um, what I did after I retired was I immediately enrolled in my local university to start a course in coaching, uh, professional coaching, specifically on individual and organizational well-being, and that that was a six and a half month long course. Uh, in actually went to class, um, 140 hours of classroom training, and then considerable amount of uh, pro bono coaching, kind of practice coaching is what I would call it, And, and then I set up my own professional coaching company, which is Compass Coaching and Consulting LLC, and that's basically what I've been focusing on, and I've done a little bit of consulting both within and outside the industry as well over the last couple of years.
1: Oh, thanks, Terry, and and I want to get into the coaching a little bit more because, uh, just just the environment we find ourselves in, I think everybody would agree that it is probably the most challenging twelve months any of us have ever faced. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, with the industry experience you have, and you know, I'll, I'll just toot your horn. I mean, you had decades of experience in the asso- in the industry, uh, you know, serving at all levels of the moving industry up to and including being an owner of a moving company before transitioning over to your role to serve as president of the association. I think it was in 1997, right? That's correct, yeah. And then serving for 21 years as the president of the association. Now you go into this uh, leadership coaching uh, side of the business or leadership coaching uh, angle or uh, approach. From your perspective, melding all of those things together and understanding kind of the, the challenging environment uh, we all face, what are, what are some kind of lessons or thoughts that you have about where we are and, and you know, uh, where we are as an industry and yeah, you know, what sort of advice would you be giving to uh, you know IAM members from that perspective?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting that in the the coaching that I've done since I graduated from the course at the university and became a certified coach by the International Coaching Federation, and that requires in depth ed- education as well as a or at least a hundred hours worth of actual coaching to even qualify for the lowest level of certification, which is where I'm at. It's ironic in the sense that in all the coaching that I've done, and I've had a couple dozen clients um, since I started this, only one of them has been in our industry. It's been in other industries, and that's by choice. Uh, And the only reason I've done that one particular client is he asked to be uh, coached by me. He was in a in the middle of a transition, uh, actually getting ready to retire out of the industry. And he knew that I had done that a couple different times in various stages of my career. And I was looking for people to to do it with. So I haven't really done a whole lot of coaching within the moving relocation mobility industry. Although I still talk to a lot of people because I've stayed involved in, in various uh, levels uh, for the lack of anything else other than wanting to still add value. Um, But I think it's the same regardless of what industry you're in. Uh, We're all in a situation of what do I do now? Uh, The pandemic brought that to the forefront for a lot of people, but a lot of people were already in different career transitions, relationship transitions, their businesses were transitioning. And of course, the pandemic just brought a whole nother layer. consideration for that and the thing about coaching is it's not mentoring it's not consulting it's not therapy it's not psychotherapy it's none of those things it's not tutoring it's really in in the science of coaching is based on the client the person that's being coached some people call it the coachee I like to refer to it as a client Um, wanting to make a change wanting to transition from one space to another from one career to another from one relationship to another and and the answers are probably already there just not been brought to the forefront through what i call um focused conversation thought-provoking conversation between the coach asking questions and the client thinking and responding to those questions They normally come to their own realization of what it is they should be doing. And there's a whole process that's involved there. It's the what, it's the why, uh, and the why might be more importantly than the what, but then the actions that have to come out as a result of determining what they wanna do, when they wanna do it, and how they wanna do it. And then the accountability that the coach brings to the uh, equation, to the partnership, and making sure that the person is on the right track, doing the right things, doing the right things when they should be doing them for the right results. So it's, it's very rewarding. I will tell you that it's the um, most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I've, I, I tell you, my years at the association were extremely rewarding, but this coaching gig is really both from a rewarding standpoint and from a learning standpoint, because uh, I have now been involved in a lot of industries. I didn't have other than cursory exposure to, government contracting being one of them, high tech, high education, healthcare. A lot of my clients are, are very diversified in, and involved in those industries. So at the same time, I'm helping them, hopefully, I'm learning something about those industries as well.
1: So it, it, so it seems like if I can sum it up, it's um, you know a coachy or the client Uh, wants to get better at something or wants to solve an issue. And uh, they just, they work with you and through your focus conversation and asking strategic questions, they almost come to the solution themselves and, and find that opportunity. So, you know, trying to think of, you know, where some of our members might be, it's, um, you know, in March or April of 2020, where it's, we don't know exactly how the pandemic's going to play out. How do I uh, maintain my business? How do I keep, uh, you know, my my staff on payroll? And it would be more it could be an exercise like that where it's okay. Well, what assets do you have? What what ideas have you had in the future? And and through that kind of sequential questioning, they they themselves come to the answer.
2: That's correct. I mean, a, a good way to put it would be what are your options? And then through exploring, asking question about those options, they come to realize, well, option A or B might be the best course of action for them to be taking for the goal that they've set for themselves. Um, And you just summarized it in your scenario in maintaining at least profitability or maintaining staff or whatever their goal is, here's the best option to make that be a reality down the road
1: in your conversations with some of these folks and and you mentioned that it kind of runs the gamut across these different industries is there a common thread that comes out of these conversations that's universal uh, across these various industries or is it very much industry specific where the answers tend to lead the, the the client?
2: No, I, I think there is a common thread, but there are differentiations to each type of industry, you know, whether it's for-profit, whether it's government, where it's non-profit, and I've worked in all those um, uh, factors. So it's very, very common, um, and it's also common, everybody's problems are different, but the the way they react to it, the ability to react to it is, is very commonplace. It's, it's a simple science uh, in the sense, and it does work. I've seen it work. I've been very proud to see it work through my efforts and the efforts of other coaches that I know. Um, it's very powerful. Um, just, it, it's hard to explain until you experience it. And I would highly recommend to people, if, you, if you're not, if you've never had a coach before, uh, think back to when you were uh, maybe younger, and it might have been a teacher, it might have been an athletic coach, who knows? And I will tell you that the people that have influenced my life the most, most are the coaches that I had growing up, not necessarily the teachers.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've had the privilege to experience it. And I think, you know, Terry, you have definitely been one of the most important people. Uh, mentors to me in my life, uh, and talking me through, I think I joined the association when I was 24, and, you know, through those 10, 11 years where we overlapped, uh, you know, where you were the president of the association, um, your guidance and mentorship really led me, uh, helped me become, uh, you know, a better employee, number one, but also a better man, um, I, I would be curious, from your perspective, if you felt like I do felt like feel like you were employing some of the concepts of coaching in our relationship, uh, but maybe they weren't as conscious as they as they are now. Um, but I would also say, in in conscious coaching uh, environments where I've participated, it it feels like the other person, the coach, is somewhat almost pulling a Jedi mind trick on you. Uh, it's uh, You come into the conversation and at the end of the conversation, you have a whole new level of clarity um, about your future course and direction, which is is almost like a superpower. So I, I find it interesting, uh, everything you're saying right now, but uh, yeah, I, I give you an opportunity to respond to that.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for, I'll take it as a compliment that you saw me as a coach and. And I can remember you coming into my office many times with uh, a question. And first question I probably would ask you is, well, what do you think? <laughs> and that, and that's really what a coach does. Um, yeah, there, there is, and I keep referring to the science of coaching. Um, and there is, and I have, I've learned enough to know there's so much more to learn about coaching and neuroscience and the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and, That's one of the other things I like about coaching. I'm continually taking courses to make me a better coach. But it really is the difference between a conscious thought and a subconscious thought. And they're all in your head. Uh, And that's what I mean by the answers are probably already in the client. And it's through that thought-provoking conversation that the coach hopefully coordinates with the client that the answers come to the forefront.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm just writing uh, uh, something down on my notebook as we're talking because uh, I, I almost feel like this conversation has kind of led me to think about going and getting my own coach um, just to help me uh, work through some of these things. Um, you know, whether it's work, whether it's life, you know, uh, it's it, it definitely is an interesting. Uh, uh, an interesting process. And uh, I think, you know, for the members who are listening and anybody who's listening, I think you should read up more, get in touch with Terry, um, even just to hear a little bit more about what he's doing, uh, because uh, there is a power there uh, that we can unlock uh, through this focused conversation and coaching.
2: Yeah. One last thought, Ryan. which something you just said reminds me of this, the common thread. That I have learned in the little bit of coaching that I've done is that when you talked about your professional life and your life and in coaching the common thread is it's really hard to separate the two. The coaching engagement might have started with a focus on the professional side, the job, the career, but it's very quick how you find yourself then talking about the personal side, the relationship the family life at home, the commute to the office. I mean, all those things, they interact so well and you really can't work on one without at least considering the other.
1: Yeah, that, that whole concept of work-life balance. Yep. There, is, there are no boundaries anymore and it all, especially now, I mean, I'm sitting in my house right now where it doubles, not just as an office, not just as a home but also a classroom for our kids. So. I think, especially now, and hopefully soon, uh, we'll have a more sane work-life balance. But I, I think those those stresses are even more apparent now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I did a podcast uh, on another platform a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about work-life balance. And I described it really, it's evolved to become a lifestyle, particularly with remote, you know, working from home, etc. It's no longer a question of this versus that. It's how they they meld together as a lifestyle, but more so than a balance between one or the other work or life.
0: Hmm.
1: I never heard that kind of approach before. Yeah, because it all just kind of blends together, and I guess it comes down to priorities and where you order those priorities and how you structure your life according to that.
2: Yep, and it's priority is a good word, but I'll also add another word, which is one I use in in my coaching all the time. And that's values. You know, your values determine what it is you really want to do. Your values determine how you want to live your life. Your values determine how do you, how you want to run your business, how you want your career to be. So those all come into play in, in determining what that proper lifestyle is going to be.
1: Yeah. Well, in, yeah. And I think something that I've I've thought about is making those values more present in my day to day, because you know you get swept away uh, <laughs> with everything these days. So uh, yeah, highlighting your values and making sure that they're uh, you're constantly checking in with them, I suppose.
2: Right. When faced with a question, the first place you should go is, "How does that relate to my values?" Yeah.
1: Yeah, it provides a, a guide guidelines for how to make a decision and all of that. Right. Well, Terry, I, I think there's a lot that's good there about the whole coaching aspect. Again, I'd, I'd encourage you know, listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about coaching, you know, Terry referenced it. There's the International Coaching Federation, which is a very well-established uh, uh, society for coaches around the world. Or get in touch with Terry himself um, to talk about the industry, talk about um, uh, coaching in itself. I do wanna transition though, Terry, our conversation to the industry a bit. Uh, and one of the things that we worked together on throughout our, uh, you know, the time we overlapped at the association was the presentations you used to give on the future of the industry, where it stands today and, and what your thoughts were, and if you could predict uh, where the industry was going. So, I, you know, for our listeners, for me as well, I'm curious to get your thoughts on where you see the industry today and where do you see it evolving to in the future?
2: You know, it, it's in, interesting because I think when the pandemic first hit, everybody's thoughts were going to be, oh, nobody's going to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the industry is dead. So you're going to have to live off your storage. But if you're just doing moving and storage, you're probably going to not be here uh, for a while. Um, and many of our IM companies are smaller in nature. We've got the big ones as well, but they they weren't really, they don't have the balance sheet. They don't have the wherewithal assets to uh, withstand a, a long drawn out downturn in business with the pandemic uh, brought. But I think in the long run, I think our industry is going to do very well coming out of this. I think many people have done pretty well doing it, during it. Um, it just proved you never really can guess where things are gonna go until they happen. Um, you know, we, we've been suffering as an industry from, and not my word, other people have used it numerous times, the commoditization of the moving industry. And when I say that, you know, there's no real differentiation between one mover to another other than price. And, and, and I, don't think the industry sees it that way, because we all really do focus on quality and um, the special way we do things. But unfortunately, the buying public, as has by way of you said, the internet and so forth, has learned to focus on on price. And that's how it's become more of a commodity. What's a ton of copper worth? Well, what's a ton of movers worth? The same thing. But in reality, I think, um, And I I did a, I did a, I had to laugh because I did a speech, not a speech, a presentation at at a PD um, seminar back in 1990, no, 1985. And I talked about how in the future people can work from anywhere, you know, because we'll have computers. Yeah. And that's literally what it turned out to be now, what 30 years later. Um, And I think we're going to continue to see that. Uh, happening. I, I think we'll see a, there'll be a downturn in, in what I would call national account relocations, and I think there will be a uh, different type of client that shows up in those national accounts, the smaller, younger people, less stuff, um, m- maybe going for a shorter period of time for exposure to a, um, a, a particular trade lane or, or company or culture, or just to have international experience on the resume to move up within the organization. But then I think, well, you know, as the pandemic disappears and people are more comfortable in, in traveling, why not go live in another country? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, I'm very hopeful for our industry. Let me put it that way. I think, um, We've seen the digitization in everything, and that's including the moving industry. We've got technologies now we didn't have five years ago, and certainly ten or twenty years ago, that support us very well. There still is that guy or girl or crew member who has to go into the house. So until robots become, you know, a uh, norm for industry, we're still going to be hiring people. We're still going to be uh, operating trucks, whether they will be driverless trucks or not, I don't know. So the nature of the moving industry is not going to change how we go about doing it, what we use in doing it. Um, those are the things I think we'll see evolve uh, over the next decade or so
1: for sure. Do you, uh, one one thing that I'm thinking about in my brain, um, yeah. you know, we saw domestic, and when I say domestic, I'm, I'm talking explicitly about interstate moves here in the United States. So people moving from one state to another state or people moving from one place uh, to another place here in the US. We saw that explode in 2021 or 2020 as I I think people who uh, were locked in their home wanted to go somewhere else, perhaps to have more space, perhaps to have a, a larger home. At the same time, we're seeing, uh, I think, big headwinds uh, on the international side. We have this global supply chain crisis going on right now with skyrocketing freight, uh, containers, there's a general lack of containers uh, or they're just not positioned in the right place. Uh, We have port congestion everywhere and there's potentially uh, some concern, uh, for transferees to move from one country to another in this uncertain environment. Do you foresee that around the world that, uh, people will continue moving domestically, but that international moves will tell off, or do you believe, uh, going back to what you just said, that once COVID subsides, that vaccination rates kind of take hold, um, that will be able to kind of return, and and those people who were kind of confined can now pursue their opportunity around the world. Uh, at that point,
2: good question. A um, little hard to predict because you know we we are we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with this pandemic. That doesn't mean there isn't going to be another pandemic, or as we're already seeing now variants within the COVID um, pandemic, COVID-19 being the current one, but there's the UK, the Brazilian, there's the South African variants. Um, So I think the fear that people might have in moving to another country um, is still going to be there. So it's a question of, am I willing to move my whole family? Yeah. Which is why I think we're going to see a lot more younger single, uh, maybe just couples taking positions overseas than before. But then again, you also might see, okay, I now realize how important my family is. So I've been working here in the US. Maybe I wanna to return to India and work there because as those economies evolve and get better opportunities that weren't there before or five years ago that brought that individual maybe to the US or to the UK or to the EU have turned around and they'll want to go home and, and live with their family for maybe a variety of reasons. One, to be close with them, uh, to be safer with them, you know, to save money. Who knows? Yeah, really don't know. So the the psychic that, that comes involved in wanting to move I think is going to have perhaps a few more uh, factors involved when people decide is this something I really want to Take on by moving from one country to another,
1: and what you describe, it's in general a, a cheaper investment at that point for you know these corporate accounts to make that investment for younger uh, younger employees, those employees without kids to facilitate that relocation than it is to move that family overseas yeah, or to another country.
2: No question, and we've seen that we've seen it the last twelve months sure. that. And granted, it's always going to be important, but the face-to-face meeting is not as important as it used to be, because you can be just as productive over a Zoom or WebEx or Slack call as you can in either traveling to meet with somebody or actually moving your yourself and your family to be there to meet with somebody on a day-to-day basis. The don't get me wrong; those those relationships, those face-to-face are still very important, but people have seen there's another way around it. So, and that I think will impact uh, the need to position people around the world going into the future.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how that um, (laughs) plays out. I have so many thoughts uh, on this, but, not just from the relocation standpoint but just how does covid scramble up all these sorts of demographic trends but yeah i i think we should we should book a time whether it's back on the podcast uh, at the end of the year or the beginning of next year to kind of see if our predictions or if how the industry is evolving based on the last nine months uh given the vaccination rates you know from our perspective at the association we're of course focus on our annual meeting. And we are going to have our in-person annual meeting and I'll just throw in the plug because I got to throw in the plug, uh, October 13th through the 16th in Orlando, Florida. And you know, right now we're given the vaccination rollout here in the United States. We're very confident that we're gonna have a significant attendance from uh, people here in the U.S. But the big question mark for us is who from outside the U.S from our community will be able to travel and join us for our annual meeting. We are definitely going to have a, a virtual component to our meeting, but that face-to-face, everything you just said, Terry, about the efficacy of, of virtual meetings versus face-to-face, uh, it really um, you know, does have implications uh, for a number of things. And, You know, from our perspective at the association and all associations who run meetings and and things like that, it's a big question mark for us moving forward.
2: Oh, no question. And and I have done some coaching in the uh, event conference space, again, through my um, network that I have in the association arena. And everybody's excited to get back uh, into traveling, back into holding conferences, back into hosting conferences, but you just framed it, you know, if you build it, will they come? Um, I think I am is on the right track with their hybrid thought, both physical and virtual. So if somebody has to, somebody's forced to make a choice. Um, I know I'll be there. Um, I get my my second vaccine tomorrow, so uh, I'll great. be all good to go. And hopefully by October, uh, not just a large portion of the U.S. is predicted to be back vaccinated, but hopefully a good bit of the world. So that'll be less of a consideration, but it'll still be something somebody's gonna have to consider. Do I wanna get on a plane? Yeah. Do I to travel? Uh, am I, I gonna get a benefit, uh, more of a benefit being there versus just being there on a Zoom call? And we all know uh, there's, there's so many th- more things you get out of physically being at a conference, not just sitting in the sessions, it's the conversations in the hallway between the breaks, it's the lunches, it's the dinners, it's the time at the bar. I mean that that's really where you you build and and add to the relationships you've already built. And and that's really the strength of our industry and the strength of the association.
1: Yeah. And, and, and yeah, we 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 know that um, you know that value will be there. I think the question comes down to there's two layers to that decision making. And there's, and this is uh, effective for everybody around the world is, I may want to go, but will my company pay for it? Uh, After, uh, you know, 12 months of this, does my company believe that there is enough value to send me to this uh, event? And so we're working on that, uh, emphasizing the value proposition. And uh, over the next few weeks and months, you're really going to start seeing a lot from the association about our pledge to have a safe environment to the networking opportunities that we'll have to the learning sessions that we'll have both virtually and in person. So lots more to come on that. Um, But I want to, I want to get to the last thing that we talked about before coming into this discussion. and That's a hall of honor. And before we talk explicitly about the hall of honor, uh, I I, want to just kind of Shape it up for the audience about what the Hall of Honor is. And um, Terry, feel free to jump in if I mischaracterize anything, because you were at you were leading the association when we established it. But it is a program that I am set up over ten years ago to recognize the outstanding individuals in our uh, in our industry who have made outstanding contributions to the industry, to the association, or uh, otherwise innovative. Uh, approaches to how they've built their company. And we've now recognized, I believe, over 70 individuals with the Hall of Honor. And um, we're now uh, in the final month of nominations before we move towards selecting three, up to three new potential honorees to join those 70, 70 plus individuals in the Hall of Honor. And Terry was, um, uh, an inductee. He's a Hall of Honor member now. He was inducted into the Hall of Honor at our last in-person meeting in 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. So, uh, you know, Terry, I, I want to have a discussion about the Hall of Honor, why you think it's important as an industry veteran, as the President of Emeritus. You know, give us your thoughts.
2: Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I do think it's important, Uh, and uh, and I'm very honored to be uh, one of the Hall of Honor inductees, as you said, two years ago. Um, But let me give a little bit of history, and it actually was established back in 2008. It was the brainchild or thought of Jeff Coleman, who was then on the Executive Committee of IAM to establish the Hall of Honor, and we do refer to it as the IAM Hall of Honor, but it was then and is now Seen as and looked upon as a hall of honor for the industry, not just I am. Matter of fact, you don't have to have been an I am member to be inducted into the hall of honor. Uh, you don't have to have been a, in the, even in the moving business, to be um, inducted into the hall of honor. It's really open to people who have made significant achievements or contributions to the industry Uh, and when I say the industry, moving, relocation, mobility, et cetera, anything of of a related nature to those areas. And we have inducted non-members and people who weren't what I would consider movers or or, um, even in the moving business into the Hall of Honor. Um, We started in 2008, that was our first class of inductees in the first two years, 2008 and 2009, the classes, the number of inductees were fairly large. I think the first year it was 12 or 12 to 15, and yeah. then the second year it was probably around 16 people. Because we felt like there was a lot of people that were in the early years of not just the association, but the industry as we know it today that needed to be honored. Uh, but since that time, um, it's the classes have gotten smaller. Matter of fact, I believe it was in 2012 um, that um, by um, a rule change, there can be no more than three people inducted into uh, the Hall of Honor each year. Yeah. And That's up to three people because since that time, I think there was at least one or two years where there are only two people found to be worthy of induction. So it's every, th- every every year it's three people, but then every five years, we also have what we call the sweep class where, and this is where it's kind of connected to another I am program called I am looking back where we record the history and Rick Curry and John Day, who are both hall of honor inductees uh, work on that program. And through their research of history, they have identified people that maybe weren't at the forefront, but made big contributions to the industry and the association. And every five years we try and sweep up, hence the sweep class, those people and put them before the selection committee for consideration and ultimate approval by the executive committee for induction into the hall of honor. So it's, I think it's been a great program and I I would encourage people to go to the IAM website in the section uh, on the Hall of Honor and look at the people that have been inducted. And there's a profile. You can click, it's set up by year and the individuals that were inducted in each year, but then you can click on the individual and read something about that person's profile and why they were uh, considered and ultimately inducted into the Hall of Honor. And hopefully that might lead uh, people that are listening to the podcast To say oh i think this person should be considered and and please please nominate we're always looking for as many nominations even though it's restricted to three inductees we want as many nominations or people to consider as possible
1: yeah and and we have a, a nomination deadline of april 1st so if you do have somebody who you think is worthy of this honor uh, encourage you to go to IAMovers.org and search uh, once you get onto our webpage. I think if you just go to IAMovers.org backslash, backslash H-O-H, it will take you to the Hall of Honor webpage. Um, yeah, and everything Terry said is absolutely correct. Uh, we have a bunch of resources there. Encourage you to read uh, about each of the honorees uh, who are members of the Hall of Honor. Um, you know, Terry, so part of the purpose of the Hall of Honor is to remember people who have made outstanding contributions. Um, And I I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the, unfortunately, over the last two weeks, we've gotten some pretty bad news um, from around the industry about people who have passed on. And uh, none of these individuals are in the Hall of Honor, but Looking at the Hall of Honor and and the purpose it serves, I I do think I I wanna just recognize and extend my condolences and our condolences from the association to some of those individuals who have passed on to their families and to their company. So uh, Luciana Ventura from TransPAC in Argentina, uh, Mario Martinez from Security International Moving in Peru, I believe, uh, Bill Boitin uh, from worldwide movers. and I think he was based in Tanzania. Um, and, uh, and we do have one Hall of honor member, uh, George Fouch from Rainier Overseas Movers. Um, you know, uh, I think very unfortunate news, but uh, you know it's through programs like the Hall of Honor that we remember people, and I am looking back that we remember people. So, um, you know, Terry, j- just before we go, just any thoughts on those people who pass on and uh, uh, from your perspective?
2: Uh, sure, thank you. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult whenever you hear of, of somebody that you've worked with and known passing on for whatever reason, um, however their death was brought about. And I, I, I think I've known all these people or at least had the opportunity to interact with them. Uh, but two of them certainly come to mind Um, George Fouch. I worked backwards. George Fouch was on the uh, I Am Executive Committee, then the Household Goods Forwarders Association of America Executive Committee when I came on the board back in 1994. uh, And George continued to serve on the Executive Committee for a number of years. I will always remember George. He was a smart man, very smart man, came out of the Smythe organization and i'll tell you back in the 80s and 90s in our industry particularly the forwarding industry most people had roots in two companies one was Smythe international and the other one was greyhound and they were all they were all very proud of that uh that branched out into the other van lines that are probably better known today than than they were 30 years ago but george was a great guy made a lot of contributions, always had a, a smile on his face, uh, very engaging. The other one who, who really hit me hard was Mario. Uh, and I've known Mario and worked with Mario for, I tried to think, I know it's over 40 years. He was my agent uh, in Peru when he worked for a company before he took over ownership of the company. He, he and I were both kind of like, you um, second-tier guys within our organization, Uh, but I had the uh, Inter-American Development Bank, which did a lot of business in Peru, and and Mary and I I became very close friends. I would always go to the LACMA, and he and his wife, Yvonne, were always welcoming, engaging. I knew them through my FIDI uh, organization as well. Um, Mario will be missed, but he will always, always be remembered. He was a not only big in LACMA, but he was also a a very big in Feedy. And and his company hopefully will uh, stand the test of time because I'm sure Mario has set up a good organization that will continue on without him. Bill, you know, I I know his son probably more than I I know him, um, but definitely had a lot of respect for, probably worked in one of the hardest areas of the world and that's Africa. And, and ran a good quality organization, um, and got tremendous respect for him and Luciano as well. I mean, all these people are people that have been dedicated to this industry, spent their life in this industry, and have. And, and the industry has benefited as a result of them being involved.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's that's such a key. It's. Uh you know, as, as we're going through COVID, it was, uh, you know, I kept coming back to the word community and, uh, all of these people are part of our community and it's, it's a shame that we've lost them, but they definitely touched a lot of people's lives over, over the years, um, through the business and through, you know, attending conferences and, uh, you know, whether it was socially or professionally. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, We just want to extend our condolences to their friends and family and, uh, you know, may their memory, uh, be a blessing to all of us. Amen. Yes. So, uh, Terry, um, not, not to end on, on a sad note, but, um, I, I, I do appreciate your time today. I think we've covered, um, some great stuff for our listeners. Um, again, uh, Terry, why don't you just tell the listeners where they can find you or contact you before you go? Um, in case I want to ask you any questions about what you talked about today. Well,
2: the easiest way, and since I am still the president emeritus, which provides me at least one thing, and that's my old email address. So my old I am email address, terry.head at iamovers.org is still very operable. Uh, another way, which is how most of my clients reach out to me is through LinkedIn and mm-hmm. you can just find me LinkedIn. Um, Carriette or Compass Coaching and Consulting. Uh, there are a couple of companies that have that name. So make sure you find the right one. But yeah, if anybody has any questions about it, send me an email. You know, I'm I'm not, I'm not doing this basically for the money that comes out of it, but for what uh, I can provide people and more what I get out of it and learning. So yeah, if you have questions about coaching, get in touch with me. Be glad to talk to somebody. Yep. Thanks, Brian.
1: Well, Terry, thanks. Thanks again for your time, and uh, uh, we appreciate it from IAM. You are technically, uh, you still technically have that that email. That's the, that's I guess that's the key benefit you still have from uh, <laughs> being under the I umbrella. So uh, thank you again, and yeah, that's it. Thanks. Thanks, Brian.
0: Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts. Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, PocketCast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to the IAM podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can contact us at membership at IAMovers.org or contact us by going to the Contact Us page on the IAM website at IAMovers.org. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time.